Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, unlicensed lunch therapist, Adam Roberts. My guest today is Cheryl Day. She is the co-author of a New York Times bestselling cookbook and one of my favorite cookbooks of all time, The Back in the Day Bakery Cookbook, which is based on her bakery in Savannah, Georgia, The Back in the Day Bakery, which she co-owns with her husband, Griffith Day. And on today's session, Cheryl is just as excited to be analyzed as I was to analyze her. I'm so excited about this therapy session. I've never had therapy and I am long overdue, I promise. And so in today's session, we talk all about the food that she doesn't like. I literally just had my first oyster, raw oyster, like a couple of years ago. Her brushes with racism. Oh, listen, I've had things like that happen to me, you know, my whole life, unfortunately. And it's always shocking. And it's always, you know, disturbing. And it's not always in the South. And making everything by hand. There was something about making a pie in a big bowl by hand that was so satisfying. And then, you know, we did the massaging and folding. And it really was just such a process. So without further ado, here is my lunch therapy session with Cheryl Day. All right, Cheryl, it's so nice to finally meet you. So nice to meet you too. Yeah, so you are absolutely without question one of my favorite cookbook authors. Oh, thanks, Adam. I appreciate that. I know I, you make some fun things, and I always like to see you posting your pancakes and carrot <laughs> cake. I see you. <laughs> but but I love your cookbook. I mean, I'm speaking specifically about the back in the day bakery cookbook because I use it, I use it all the time. And what I love about it is it's so not pretentious but it's so delicious. Like everything always comes out fantastic. Thank you. Well, that's always, you know, the goal, <laughs> but so it's still one of my faves too. I have to say, I'm very proud of it. Well, so now you have a new cookbook that's coming out when? In October of this year. And I feel like I have spent my lifetime working on this cookbook. Oh my! And it's called Cheryl Day's Treasury of Southern Recipes. Uh, yeah, Southern Baking. That Southern is Baking. And it comes out uh, the end or mid-October, I think the 27th or something along those lines. Yeah. Wow. So, so that's a good day. So tell us about the, the book. I mean, what's the idea behind it? It sounds like it's, it's very in-depth, like you're covering a lot of ground. Yeah, it is. I mean, it kind of is my approach to baking like you said very um, I like it to be very approachable but it starts out telling the story of my family and how I became a southern baker being that I grew up in Los Angeles oh twist I didn't know that see yeah wow we'll we'll get into that during your therapy session (laughs) for sure (laughs) I'm so excited about this therapy session. I've never had therapy and I am long overdue, I promise. Oh, well, I'm very gentle. You don't have to worry. It's going to be very comfortable. There's no couch. You don't have to lay down or anything. Couch. <laughs> um, but before we get to your therapy, we have, we, we're going to like chit chat just for a little bit. And I want to know, how has the pandemic been for you? I know that you're running a business and you're in Savannah and, you know, I follow you on Instagram. So I got a little bit, I kind of got some sense of how it was going, but I'm curious if you can speak about what that experience was like and how it's going now. Yeah, it's, it's going now well, but this past, gosh, however long it's been, year and a half, it was really difficult because we had a full dining room. You know, we've got a a fairly large space and it was always packed with, you know, hundreds of people waiting in line around the corner and just, it was a whole scene and it was definitely not the place to be (laughs) during Mm -hmm. COVID. So we made the decision um, pretty fairly early on that we were going to close our dining room and what we thought was going to be temporary. But now we've made the decision. Um, my husband, Griff and I, after thinking about how we wanted to create the type of business for the life we want, that's really important to us. And we've decided to close the dining room permanently. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, that's a big step. And I've said it several times out loud now, so I can say it, but Uh, What we've done is during the pandemic, we've kind of reimagined our space and reimagined our life. And as I said, it's fairly large. 
So we have turned the dining room into a production area for a small batch provisions line that we're launching this summer. Great. Um, it's going to be jams and um, some dry goods, biscuit mixes and things like that. And also uh, during the pandemic, we started uh, shipping on Gold Belly nationwide. And that is uh, what we've been doing in the dining room. So we decided that we would continue doing that. We put up a little wall and we've created a really awesome curated retail space that has all of my favorite things mm -hmm. and vintage uh, treasures, lots of things that, for people that like to cook. I feel like a lot of people are cooking at home now. Oh, yeah. So, you know, just things that you need for when you're cooking at home. And then we have a curated section for our baked goods also. Well, that sounds really great. I mean, it's interesting. I feel like a lot of people came to a personal crossroads during the yeah. pandemic, even for me, like, you know, I, I'd been working in film and television, but also still doing food and cooking. And I realized that food is where my passion is. So like, that's why like lately I've really been relaunching my podcast and mm -hmm. you know, working on lots of food projects, but it's, it's really, it was really an opportunity to kind of hunker down and think, okay, what do I want? What, what am I spending my time doing and what matters to me? So I'm glad to hear you yeah. had a similar revelation. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we're creative people. So it really kind of, I think, gave most people that I know an opportunity to think more creatively and to um, kind of reimagine mm -hmm. where they, you know, want to live their life. So that's so, what we've done and we're excited. Yeah. So is the, was the dining room like... Um, like servers came to tables and took people's orders kind of dining room or was it like you got a baked good and sat down and ate it yeah it was more like order at the counter and you would sit down no servers or anything like that but we did have a full sandwich line lunch line and a hot line so we've eliminated mm. all of that which um has been interesting so now we're doing my husband makes beautiful bread so we're doing what we call picnic sandwiches mm -hmm. and we're really encouraging people to buy a picnic basket or rent a picnic basket from us and they can take it to one of our awesome parks in savannah enjoy the day but it's definitely i mean it was a move you know i mean it yeah. was like a lot of my friends are like wow i just love how you you know like you're like Madonna, you're <laughs> like a new life, you know? Yeah. But I think that after we've been in business for nearly 20 years, we'll be 20 in August. If you count last year, I don't know, but wow. um, I think I do count last year. But, yeah, you um, should. <laughs> you were open, you were, you were serving food. So yeah. Like, you know, we, you know, let's do something new and exciting and I think that's what life's all about. So we're well, doing that's, it. That's great. I mean, it's it's interesting. I feel like I've been to Savannah, but I realized I've only read, it was because I read The Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil all those uh -huh. years ago. Yeah, yeah. But I don't think I've actually physically been there. So now I want to come take a trip and like meet you oh, in person. you have to. You yeah. definitely have to. It's really, um, it is a really beautiful place and it is kind of quirky, kind of like in that book. <laughs> yeah, I remember there was a character who had like insects on little leashes, like little yeah. flies. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. But I, we're going to get into like your whole journey from LA to Savannah because that's going to be oh, interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. A, you know, you didn't know about that. I didn't. Okay. Well, I think we're ready. I think it's time. I think the therapy, okay. the, he okay. the healing, right. the healing's, healing is going to begin right now. So, <laughs> Cheryl, tell us, what did you have for lunch today? Um, I had a, uh, I guess maybe I was feeling like I'm going back to California a little bit. So I had a poke bowl today, but I had, I'm wimpy. So it was like, basically I do a California bowl. Okay. <laughs> it has like, it has, um, you know, like a crab and all the, like pretty much California roll, lots of, um, avocados and fried scallions and it was super fresh and carrots it was delicious yeah so did you make it yourself or did you buy it no, no I ordered it and okay. then they do something fun um at this place in our neighborhood where they do a uh, wonton nachos wow that sounds good <laughs> yeah it was really good so you get like this tomatoey spicy sauce and um like I don't know like kind of almost like a salsa 
situation. So it was delicious. Oh, so you had that too with the California. Yes, I had that also. No judgment. Okay. No, 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 no. That sounds great. That sounds like I want to. I want to eat that right now. Okay. Yep. So the the first thing as your lunch therapist that immediately comes to mind because of the conversation that we had earlier was the California of it all because I it makes me think a lot about identity and. Yeah. And your identity as a Southern baker, I mean, your new book is the tre treasury of Southern baking, right. but that you came from California and then the California lunch feels very California. So I'm curious if you could speak a little bit about your identity as a Southerner versus identity as a Californian. Okay. So yeah, I feel like I have some explaining to do. And I <laughs> do explain it. I'm a Southern California girl, but also turned Southerner. I used to come to the South. My mom was from Alabama and like a small town. And every summer from about the age of eight, I would come visit my grandmother. And that's pretty much between my mom and her. That's how I learned how to bake. Mm -hmm. And I just really fell in love with just kind of the slower pace than what I was used to, you know, growing up in Los Angeles. And, but still at the same time, I think there's definitely a juxtaposition between being from Southern California and living in the South, because mm -hmm. there's a lot of freshness of ingredients that are very similar in cooking, but at the same time, and a lot of relaxation, you know, there's like an ease, but at the same time, I feel like I'm still a California girl always mm. at heart. You know, they wish they all could be right. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I was born and raised in Los Angeles first. Um, and then my parents moved when I was about three and a half to the Valley. Oh, wow. You're and a Valley girl. <laughs> I didn't realize that. Okay. Sherman Oaks. And uh -huh. so true Valley girl, like literally, right? The mall, the movie uh -huh. thing. But I don't know. I feel like just my sensibility is very um, Southern California. I, I love, you know, vintage treasures and I love being near the water. I'm very fortunate that we do have a beach in Savannah, mm -hmm. um, Tybee Island. And so, yeah, that's just kind of how I, you know, think about the two together. Well, how did your family end up in Los Angeles? So your grandmother was in Alabama. So was it your mother who moved to LA? Yeah, my both my parents actually did. My um, parents were World War II vets. Okay. And after uh, the war, they both moved to Los Angeles and um, met in Los Angeles. Oh, wow. wow, that's interesting. So they were both World War II vets who moved from the South to Los Angeles and then right. met in Los Angeles. Yeah. Wow. Very yeah. interesting. Okay. So anyway, um, my mom actually had an aunt who worked in in movies. She was a seamstress, um, like Hollywood seamstress. And she lived in an old neighborhood, um, what they used to call Sugar Hill in Los Angeles. I think it's mid city now, but um, okay, that's what it's referred to now. But it was where a lot of um, professional um, black folks moved as a part of the great migration and they ended up so my mom's aunt lived there first mm -hmm. and then she you know she came to Los Angeles to go to college she went to Pepperdine oh cool um, yeah when Pepperdine was down like well, I don't know if it still is but not the Malibu campus but oh, yeah. the original campus in Los Angeles and then she went to um, USC for grad school wow insane yeah so yeah. I'm curious so when you moved to Savannah from Los Angeles mm -hmm. what, what, what was that like for you was that a culture shock or was it did it immediately did you immediately take to living in the south it definitely was culture shock okay I'm <laughs> curious to hear about that yeah. yeah this was you know gosh this was 21 years ago and when I first came to visit, my sister and I came because we thought we had heard a lot of family history happened in and out of this area and fell in love with it. Savannah is very, um, just by the looks of it, it's really beautiful and it has kind of a European vibe to it. And a lot of folks come from all over um, the world to live here because 
there's this thing that when you come to Savannah, you just fall in love with it and you end up staying here. Mm-hmm. But it definitely was um, culture shock. We were such LA girls and we had um, a few situations that were um, a little shocking that happened to us. Like what? Like what happened? <laughs> <In the beginning. laughs> I want to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one thing that comes to mind is we um, had kind of morphed a business or created this business that was at the time doing gift baskets for a lot of people in the music industry and um, yeah, mostly music industry. And when we decided to move here, we kind of moved our business here, but also opened up a retail uh, location. And so we were very just, I don't know, you know, had really cool stuff, super LA, you know, fun things and had this little side hustle that we were running out of our um, little back room that uh, most people didn't even know that we were shipping all over, you know, the country for these um, different musicians. And uh, long story short, we had someone invite us early on to a party at her house, like an open house. And she, we thought, oh, well, you know, we don't know anyone here. So we went (laughs) and we walked to her house in this beautiful, you know, historic house uh, close by to the shop. And it's really shocking to even say, but basically her husband opened the door and he, he put his foot in the door and said something like, um, something to the effect of, you know, were we making deliveries or something like that? Oh gosh. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. So we were just, you know, we hadn't lived in the South this ever, you know, I mean, I would spend summers, but in my grandmother's neighborhood, it was just such a welcoming environment always. And mm-hmm. I never experienced anything really like that. But, and so we said, oh, you know, tried to explain that his wife had invited us, but obviously it was very awkward. Yeah, that's so awkward. <laughs> so anyway, I think he, yeah, he finally let us in. And my sister um, was like, we're leaving. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, let's find the exit and we're out of here. Yeah. (laughs) So Um, we literally walked in and found the exit and we left. And so the next time that we were open, the woman, bless her heart, as they say in the South, (laughs) (laughs) she, you know, was like, wait, I saw you and you didn't, you know, like you didn't, I didn't know what happened or whatever. And so we told her what happened and. She was like, oh, he just, you know, didn't know, like, who you were with. I said, like, the godfather. Oh, my God. <laughs> he didn't wow. know who you were. And so, yeah, that was awkward. But honestly, you know, for the most part, that was the main thing that yeah. ever happened. And it was a nice wake-up call. Listen, I've had things like that happen to me, you know, my whole life, unfortunately. And it's always shocking and it's always, you know, disturbing. And it's not always in the South. I mean, mm-hmm. I was on a flight leaving from Los Angeles. And I famously, all my friends know this, but I um, uh, had a man that made a big scene because he said he didn't want to sit next to me. Really? That's <laughs> so, awful. You know, it happens everywhere. Unfortunately, that's the world we live in. But yeah, that was my major culture shock. I haven't well, had it happen since, thank God. But. Yeah, well, it's interesting because it's interesting you compare it to Los Angeles because I think the the cliche or the way people would think automatically is living in the South right. would be worse, exactly. but that it's not necessarily worse. So no, I think- it really isn't. I mean, you know, unfortunately, ignorance and hate live everywhere. So yeah, I'm sorry you had to go through that. That's awful. Um, you know, we've all gone through something, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm curious to hear a, bit, a little bit more about the cooking of it all, because you mentioned earlier that you, your mother and your grandmother loved to bake and there was the Southern cooking uh, yeah. or Southern baking. So can you talk about like those early experiences maybe? And like those are the first ones you remember and, and, and why baking versus savory cooking or the other kind of cooking? So I learned early on that baking with my mom was something she really loved to do. And she was always um, also a really great storyteller. 
and no one, my sister wasn't interested at all. And so I realized that that was kind of my special time that I got to spend with my mom was baking and hearing her stories about growing up in the South and just her life, you know, um, being one of the first uh, Black women to be, uh, oh, you know, World War II vet. Mm-hmm. and um, just all kinds of my mom just told the most interesting you know she had a really interesting life and loved to tell the stories and so that's kind of how I really fell in love with baking was making pies and cakes mm-hmm. and and then during the summer she just really felt it was important for me to see firsthand kind of what it was like you know living in the south and all of that and yeah so I think I just loved baking i love the fact that you could just have a few simple ingredients go into the kitchen and magic would happen <laughs> was, was so, there was there an iconic dessert or, or dish that your mom would make with you like one in particular yes. that was like above yes. all others in fact the funny thing and this we should real i mean i really need therapy over this probably. <laughs> okay let's do it yeah <laughs> <laughs> was um her lemon meringue pie and honestly, she made the best lemon meringue pie. I didn't put it in the, um, I almost didn't put it in the first cookbook because I was just so nervous about if it would come out like my mom's, you mm-hmm. know, and kind of trying to use that memory of what it was like and not really having uh, the exact recipe per se. And so I remember I did make it because I really wanted to put it in the cookbook and it turned out exactly like hers. It tasted oh, good. Exactly like hers and tears were shed. I mean, it was just, <laughs> and what, it was, what, what specifically about your mother's lemon meringue pie tastes different than like one that I might make? Well, I don't know, Adam, you might make one similar, but I think the thing that is different is that it's not like a Italian meringue or anything fancy like that. It's an old fashioned meringue that you plop on it mm-hmm. and you have to bake it to finish it in the oven. And it's that softer, you know, texture meringue that is just to me quintessential lemon meringue pie a lot of folks do the one that you do like an italian meringue and you have to torch it and it's a different texture to me Mm -hmm. so um yeah that's what i think makes it different and then lots of lemons we had a lemon tree um you know we had a great lemon tree in our backyard and so just very tart but yeah Yeah. so so did your mom when you were making pie with her was she was it all about like her hands like getting in the bowl and like pinching the butter into the flour what was that was that what you were doing like rolling it out with her yeah Yeah. there were no fancy tools even with her meringue I remember that she like I remember when she first got a handheld mixer I mean she never even had a like a stand mixer Mm -hmm. I remember when she finally got a handheld mixer and otherwise she would like whip that meringue and of course this was back when you know you would do everything by hand including making cakes where you had to like count how many times Mm -hmm. you know and all of that but yeah so it was all by hand and um just the rolling pin and just her hands you know I still remember you know my mom's hand so that's yeah. so cool. That's a beautiful memory. And it's a beautiful testament to how meaningful that was to you that this became your life, that this yeah, is what you did. Totally. I'm curious though, like, and, and then we're going to jump around a little bit in your therapy session here. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> but in terms of, of translating this very personal experience and meaningful part of your life into a business, mm-hmm. how, how did you, I mean, to jump ahead to the back in the day bakery of it all, yeah. How did, how did you turn this into something that you could monetize and do do on a larger scale? I mean, were you able to still make the pies by hand and all those things? Or did you have to figure out ways to do it in a more efficient way? Well, I actually did make the pies by hand until last, let's see. No, I guess that would have been two years ago when I know we share a friend in Nicole Rucker. And oh yeah. I was thinking about her this whole conversation. Yeah. Because her, yeah, her cookbook has like three pages of instructions on how to make the pie dough by hand. Well, that's I, how we do it. And she's yeah. actually the only other person I know that makes pie crust the same way that I make it. Mm-hmm. But one day, I don't know, Nicole had an epiphany where she could do it quicker and she shared it with me. 
<laughs> I think know? she showed it on Instagram. Is it in the KitchenAid yeah. mixer? Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And of course I was, you know, thankfully I, you know, totally believe Nicole and trust her. But if anyone else had told me to do it that way, which people do it that way, I guess, but <laughs> it's just never, you know, people used to make fun of Nicole and I for, well, why don't you do it in a, you know, kitchen? Table? Why don't you do it in a food processor? We were like, well, cause this is how we do it. <laughs> you know, yeah, and this is how we do it. Yeah, so finally when Nicole, I mean, she had to like walk me through it. Like, okay, no, really it's okay. You can put it, you can make it all in the mixer. And it was just, like it all happened so quickly and it came out beautifully. And I was like, oh my, and then you do kind of finish it, you know, by hand, but it saves like so much time. Yeah. It was like right before COVID actually that um, holiday. And um, I was going, my husband and I were going to be making all the pies because my baker had moved. Um, my lead baker had moved away to Chicago. How many, how many pies do you make in the holidays? Like how many do you have it to depends. make? Like we used to make a lot more. I was just like trying to commit to a hundred with just Griff and I, but we used to make several, you know, like several hundred pies. When wow. I had, bigger wow. Team. I had um, someone on my team who was really excellent at doing the production of pies and she did, we did them all by hand. We would just make, you know, we had a process. We'd make all the crust and you know, and then we'd crimp all the crust and we'd kind of get them going in the freezer. But, um, so we decided that year that if we could just do a hundred, we'd be happy with just, you know, Griff and I, and thankfully <laughs> Paul told me that method otherwise, because I told her I'm not doing pies this year. And she was like, come on, you have to do pies. And so, yeah. yeah. So why is a, why is a food processor better than a, um, uh, what you may call it? a food? I'm sorry. Why is a mixer better for making pie than a food processor because I use a food processor yeah. maybe that's bad I want to hear why no, no I mean I think basically you could do the same thing but I mean think about it so we're making you know a lot of pies so we have a bigger we have right. a bigger mixer than we have a food processor right but in both cases the the tool is like breaking down the butter into the flour for you right. whether it's a blade exactly. or like a, a paddle yeah. attachment okay Exactly. And just, you know, watching it closely, but I just, I don't know. There was something about making a pie in a big bowl by hand that was so satisfying. And then, mm -hmm. you know, we did the massaging and folding and it really was just such a process, but then you get to a point where, you know, is this sustainable? Probably not, but honestly, so I did it what for 18 years. Wow. <laughs> But anyway, I don't know if I even answered your question. How no, you did. Okay. <laughs> I think you did. Oh, about the business. Well, I mean, I'm curious, yeah. like, like in the South, when you showed up and you're like, hi, I'm from LA. I'm, I'm a Valley right, girl. Right, I'm going right. to make, I'm going to make a lemon meringue pie. Like where people right. like, who, who is this person? What do they yeah, think they're pretty doing? Much, pretty much. Um, fortunately, we moved into a really cool neighborhood that um, used to be like an all black neighborhood. And I knew that if I, and it was adjacent to, um, or it was when we got here, it used to be just a business district. Like the first um, grocery store in Savannah was across the street. Um, and that was like, it was, there was like a big Jewish community at that, right? And then, um, so, but when we moved in, it was predominantly black. And what I realized, but it was adjacent to a lot of different neighborhoods and it had been a very popular business district back in the day, pun intended. And so what we did was we realized that if we made certain things that people would feel comfortable um, that lived in our neighborhood coming in to buy, because they were, yeah, questionable. You know, they were like, who are these people? But then they realized that we had really great cinnamon rolls and biscuits and pies. And it just kind of was very organic. Um, in the beginning stages, we were, um, I didn't have an employee for one, we didn't have any employees for a full year. Mm -hmm. So Griff and I would tag team to run the front of house. He would do his baking and then we would just kind of tag team who would work. And then my sister, um, who has actually since passed away. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. But, um, thank you. So, um, anyway, we just really got to know the neighborhood and, people just started, you know, coming in. And baking and then, is such a welcoming thing. It's like, how, can, how can people not fall in love with the smells of pie and cookies it and is. cupcakes? Well, yeah. I have to 
say in the early days, um, you know, some people were kind of afraid to come in the neighborhood. We couldn't figure out why, because my husband is from Minneapolis. I'm from Los Angeles. We didn't see what the problem was. Right. Um, except for, you know, not everybody looks the same. And um, we would have people come and they would sit outside. We have these huge windows, Adam, but they would sit outside and call us on the phone and like, see if it was okay to come in. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and we would be like, we can, hi, we can see you. <laughs> like, it's okay. And That's it really, like, it was not that bad at all, but just, um, you know, it was just different. I guess I didn't realize that at the time, you know, um, it wasn't maybe where most people, they call Griff and I pioneers now, because if you could see it now, it's like, I think we made a really good investment by buying yeah. this building. We say that every time we leave, because now there's like con like condos, right. and, you know, restaurants and like everybody wants to be here now. But isn't that know. amazing how that works? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so they, bizarre. I mean, LA has um, Echo Park is a little bit like that. And there's right, right. neighborhoods that now are so expensive. and. I know. Well, I mean, even I remember the last time I was, you know, home, there were neighborhoods that I probably, yeah, I was like, wait a minute, where I never came here, you know, whatever. So mm -hmm. I mean, it was kind of like that. But so yeah, every day we leave, we're like, yeah, we did good. Good for you. <laughs> yeah, they should name a street after you. I know. <laughs> well, I'm curious though. So now to get a little deeper into your therapy session, because we had we kind uh -oh. of we kind of drifted away from your lunch, but circling yeah. back to the California of it all, I have to ask. So I have an uncle. So my mom and and my family is from New York, and my mom and her brother are from Queens. And okay. if you were to, if you were to meet my mom, she sounds a little bit like Fran Drescher. She's like talks like this and has a new a New York accent, and it. that's what she sounds like. Her brother married a woman from Jacksonville. Oh and wow! And if Florida? You, and, in Florida, and he okay. moved there, and he's a public defender there. And you know, if you were to meet him, you would think you were meeting Atticus Finch. Like he's got a Southern accent. Like oh you, wow! And you would never know. And when you see my uncle and my mother together, you would never believe they were brother and sister. And wow. I'm curious: when you came from California, from the Valley, did you speak like a Valley girl? I mean, did you have a different way of speaking? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and then how, cause like speaking to you now, it feels like, oh, you're from the South. Like there's a certain like right. Southern lilt to your voice. So I'm curious when oh, that's, when that started you. to kick in and like how that all came about. For sure. I mean, well, it's funny. So I still, there's, I have a few friends that a couple of people that have moved here from Los Angeles that I've become friends with just through the bakery. And then when my friends from LA come to visit, I do, Griff's like, he's, my husband's like looking at me like, okay, <laughs> where did that voice come from? Uh -huh, yeah. It just kind of, you know, it turns more into a whole different thing. But yeah, I do. I think I've, I definitely am kind of a little in between. Yeah, that's really you know? interesting. Well, do you feel like you put it like, like cause it makes me think like when you're speaking to locals or southerners mm -hmm. do you feel like the accent comes out more or like you you mimic like the environment yeah. you're in yeah. maybe but the other thing is the yes ma'am uh -huh. that like now I mean it's just kind of I actually talk about it in the new cookbook just you know there's just this thing about saying yes ma'am here and mm. I now I do it you know I mean I used to say you guys right Mm -hmm. all the time and now I say you know yes ma'am and and it's funny because sometimes I have to catch myself because I'm like oh you know it, with mask and stuff on like sometimes you're like wait a minute I said yes ma'am or <laughs> but oh wow yeah that's fascinating wow. so in terms of the um the food that you serve at the back in the day bakery mm -hmm. has it always been the same menu like the 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 baked goods that you make have has they, no, have they stayed the same hasn't. so okay. in the early stages in fact a good friend of mine from LA just sent me a menu when she came to visit that menu was probably I don't know how many years ago was it maybe like 16 years ago or something maybe even longer maybe 18 years ago and I could not believe some of the stuff that was on the menu that and the prices. <laughs> oh yeah, like what was on there? Like what did you make? I mean, yeah. Do you have that menu, Griff? It was hilarious. But um, 
just a, a lot of things that necessarily, well, we made croissants and lots of different breads that we don't even do now. So basically what we did was we kind of, or when we first opened, I was doing uh, cupcakes with Italian meringue frosting. That was my thing. I only okay. made cupcakes if they had Italian meringue frosting on them. And uh, because my mentor, Jane, um, that's how we did them all the time. And we made these beautiful um, with flowers, um, you know, piped buttercream flowers, but people did not like them. Mm. It was not the, and Nicole and I have talked about this a lot, but the, the palette is definitely sweeter here. Okay. So I had to switch the frosting to, and now I'll do the Italian buttercream just to kind of embellish and decorate things. Mm-hmm. But I had to switch to more of an American buttercream because they were like, what is this? You know, <laughs> pretty much this is not sweet enough. And I just, that's what I considered buttercream. I just remembered to me, the quintessential um, California cake was like kind of like that sweet lady Jane cake mm-hmm. with the buttercream and the whipped cream and the strawberries and, you know, just that fresher take. And I had to totally flip it. And now I do these, you know, the old fashioned cupcakes that we've become famous for, mm-hmm. but they're a lot sweeter. It's, you know, an American buttercream basically. But my little twist that I do is I add a little bit of salt and a little bit of vinegar, a little bit more acid so that they're not as poignantly sweet, but they still are much sweeter than like an Italian buttercream. So that's fascinating. Well, it's funny because I went to college in Atlanta and yeah, I went to, I went to Emory and uh, yeah. So I lived in Atlanta for seven years and I, um, I just remember sweet tea, like drinking and how sweet that was. Now, now if I drank it, it would be like literally drinking a cup of sugar, but it, but back then I, I loved it. I thought, Oh, this is so good. That people ask for when they come, they want to try the sweet tea and you just have to be like, are you sure? (laughs) So it is, it's so sweet. So yeah, but people definitely, I mean, fortunately now we've been able to kind of creep in some, you know, fresher takes on things. But yeah, in the early days, it was, um, I don't know, I guess it was just a very kind of not as, uh, it was more like California, Minneapolis, where my husband's from, just really beautiful baked goods. Mm -hmm. But now we definitely when we think about our menu we always think about you know what makes it southern and Mm. what kind of gives it that southern vibe and so that's kind of how we look at everything that we do now and have have tastes changed like recently like with like all the health crazes that are out there and Mm -hmm. people i mean we we haven't jumped on any of the crazes at all yeah so we don't, and it's funny to talk to my LA baker friends, like we don't do any gluten-free, we don't mm-hmm. do any vegan, we are all about the gluten. And <laughs> all about the gluten. That's your next yeah. book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All about, there you go. Well, you mentioned when we were just talking about a mentor and I, I think I forgot to ask you about your journey in terms of like education and like you, yeah. talked, you talked about learning from your mother and your grandmother, but so when, when did you work with your mentor and like, where was that in, in your life? Yeah. So actually Jane had a bakery in Atlanta. I don't know when you were living there, but she had this awesome bakery called Mondo Bakery. Okay. And um, when we decided that we were going to open up a bakery, she just kind of took us under her wing to kind of get us from, uh, oh, cause let me back up. So um, I didn't go to culinary school and I don't, consider my I consider myself a baker um so I'm a home baker turned professional um so rather than you know pastry chef or anything like that that's Mm -hmm. not the title that I identify with you're the best kind of cook I mean I'd much rather have food from a home baker than a pastry (laughs) chef personally but keep going yeah well yeah because I like cake and you know pie but um anyway But anyway, so Jane had this awesome bakery called Mondo Bakery in Atlanta that was way ahead of its time. It was on the in the West Side, which became ended up becoming really popular. But at the time, literally, I think like there was nothing kind of like us. We were literally the only things here. 
but so um, I just loved her style of bakery, you know, baking. It was really approachable. And, and she's the one that kind of got me into doing these Italian meringue buttercream cupcakes and cakes. And I just really, you know, loved them. Um, and then we would do, um, you know, like little baguette sandwiches. It's funny, a lot of the things that we're doing now that we've kind of put up the wall and, and you know, pulled back our menu and curating our menu is very much how we started our business. And so we're just kind of going back to our roots. But so, yeah, I didn't have the path of going to culinary school. Like mm -hmm. I just, you know, was that person that would bring baked goods to the office on Monday yeah. morning. So I'm yeah. curious, like, like being around baked goods all day and, and doing this for your job, do you still enjoy baking at home and do you make stuff for yourself? I mean, I definitely did bake at home during the pandemic, but like, do I go home during the week? No. <laughs> One thing, um, we actually just renovated our kitchen home where it's a little bit bigger than it was, but you know, I mean, how can you compete with more ovens and more, you know, sink space, mm -hmm. um, to clean. And, um, so yeah, it's just, I tend to just pretty much do mostly here, but and then my husband likes to do, I hope he does. He, he does most of the cooking at home, but. And yeah. what kind of, what kind of food do you eat at home? Are you eating oh, Southern food, see. California food? <laughs> you know, maybe a twist of both. Okay. Um, it's definitely comfort food and Griff is from Minneapolis. So they're known for the hot dishes, mm -hmm. but he does these really fun. I don't know what to call them, but he does these really great like bowls of like he'll do um potatoes and he gets some like really crispy and then he like roasts vegetables and you know does these like really fun you know flavorful sauces it's like my favorite thing that he makes or a rice bowl or I don't know yeah just kind of home cooking but you're delicious. all about the bowls because you had a, a California uh -oh, a bowl for lunch <laughs> <laughs> well, therapy I, I, right there. Yeah. Well, I forgot to ask you because this is an interesting subject, which is being married to the person that you also work with. Because right. my my husband is a filmmaker, and and you know he's shot some videos for my like my like blog years ago and stuff. But mostly <laughs> we don't work together because we would kill right. each other. So right. I'm curious, right. how, how do you make that work? Well, so it took time. It didn't happen overnight. Um, we definitely had to define our roles mm -hmm. because Griff is, I mean, we're both really creative, but he, at the end of the day, he's paying the bills. And so, you know, in the early stages when I wanted to ship, you know, pink cake boxes from, you know, the West coast, because I had to have pink cake boxes <laughs> and you couldn't find them, you know, on the East coast at the time. You know, it was like, really? <laughs> How <laughs> right. is that? But so he lets me kind of, you know, we're, we're good yin and yang for sure. But we definitely had to, you know, clearly define our roles. And the other thing is that we had to, because we work together constantly and we had to decide that when we got home that we would not talk about the bakery. And so sometimes we have to ride around the block a few times because we only live like seven minutes away. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so sometimes we have to ride around the block a few times to get it, you know, all out. And then when we are in the house, it is, you know, it's time for just Griff and I and whatever he, Griff's a musician too. And that's kind of his, what he likes to do on his downtime. And then we have a little adopted dog. Oh, what's your dog's name? Um, her name is Story. And that Ooh. I probably really need therapy over because the week, like literally the weekend that the first per the first case someone had COVID in the Atlanta airport, I was in it. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, uh, because I talked to my husband, I don't know how, to um, going to adopt Story, our dog, to Los Angeles. We flew to Los Angeles to adopt the dog because I fell in love with her over the internet. Wait, wait, you came to Los Angeles to adopt a dog? Uh-huh. Oh, we need more time. This is like a whole I separate know, therapy I session. Wait, I adopted my dog, Winston, um, on 
Instagram, like over Instagram on a, like a rescue site in LA called, um, the animal protectorates. Oh, but, wow. But where so did you get scouts? Oh, much stuff. Okay. My good friend, um, I don't know if you know Tuesday Basson, mm-hmm. but she uh, she was fostering story and she would post these pictures of her. And I don't know what happened, Adam. Somehow, well, back up. We had a year before we had a dog for um, 15 years and we had to put her down. Um, Ella, and I honestly, I thought I wouldn't have another dog. I was like, I'm done. I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm not going to have another dog. And then Tuesday started posting this picture of Story, and she is the most scraggly, like she has a wonky eye, I mean, (laughs) one blue eye, she can't see out of the other eye, she's deaf, she's 12 years old, and somehow... I couldn't believe that no one else was adopting her. Oh, <laughs> and that so, is so you sweet. Know, Tuesday would say, um, you know, well, I don't know. Maybe she's too sure, Cheryl. You know, maybe she's too sure. And finally, I think Griff got so tired of me <laughs> you know, talking about this dog and sending him pictures. And I just fell in love with her. And um, anyway, so next thing we knew, we were on a plane. I mean, we literally just flew out there. And it was right when they were starting to talk about COVID and it was like February 20 something. I uh-huh. think. And, um, you know, Griff was like, I don't know. I don't feel good about this COVID thing. And I was like, Oh, you know, and so fortunately, you know, everything was fine, but we, um, and we came back and now she has a great forever home. So. Well, what a happy like timing thing. Cause it's like, you had a new dog while the whole and world ever, shut down. I mean, yeah. We t- that was, it was really great. And it was really great bonding time. I mean, the one thing I didn't realize was I guess I was being very naive and I thought she would just instantly fall in love with me, which she did, mm-hmm. but I mean, maybe not instant, instant. Yeah. That's hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. An older dog too. An older yeah. dog. So like the first day was, you know, getting like all of her supplies and then taking her back to a hotel and she crawled under the bed and we were like, oh. Oh, God, and then flying on a plane with a deaf dog. Woo. That was something. That's, that's so nice that you did that though. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, happy. We did. Well, talking to you and like hearing all this, like I'm getting the sense that in your marriage and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're more the playful, whimsical, um, like, <laughs> you know, just sort of going with the flow, like whatever inspiration strikes you. And Griffith is more of the like grounded, practical, like. Yep, 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 yep. He's over here smirking right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Hi, face. Griffith. Nice to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, whoa, this is good therapy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do couples therapy next. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, well. That's nailed it. That's so true. And it does really work out. Um, even when we were taking that trip, I said, well, one day we're going to be like, remember that crazy time we went to you know adopt a dog and here look what happened afterwards Mm -hmm. we couldn't go anywhere you know it's funny though because like your personality type though kind of runs counter to like how people think of bakers often which is like very measurement oriented and very practical Mm -hmm. you know so like do you feel like the, the constraints of baking like allow you to play in a way that's helpful well you are good Adam uh, thank you thank you yeah. <laughs> so yeah that is true but what I like to call myself is I'm an intuitive baker <laughs> okay I want to hear more yeah okay, so I follow the rule I mean obviously it's baking is science but I do like to create still with my baking and you know be playful with ingredients and I guess I think of myself sort of more like a savory cook would be able to you know play around with different ingredients that you can like use more herbs and spices and mm-hmm. um, you know extracts and hydrosols and just you know really play around with flavors not just do specifically what the recipe calls for when i can play with the flavors inside of a filling then i definitely do that mm-hmm. um, you know, so I, I feel like maybe that feeds my personality and playfulness a little bit better. I totally get that. I mean, it's funny because I'm working on a cookbook now. Um, and 
I'm doing some, I've never, you know, I've come up with my own original recipes in terms of like savory dishes, but there's a dessert chapter. And so I'm like trying to come up with my own desserts and, yeah. and, and you're right. Like once you understand like the parameters right. of like what the dish is, if it's a cake or if it's mm -hmm. a, a custard, um, then you can kind of add different flavors and exactly. different twist and it up. You know, and yeah. play with savory flavors too. You know, I mean, so that I like to do, you know, like bake with coriander or mm -hmm. you know, random spices just to see if, you know, how they work together. Have you had any disasters, like things that you thought would work really well that did not come out too well? No, I really haven't actually. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, have I ever had baking disasters? Sure, but nothing that. Um, was a disaster as far as flavor yeah the biggest disaster I can think of is I remember in the early days um, I you know thought I was so professional that I didn't have to maybe I could just you know like look at a cake to see if it was done wow. <laughs> and I remember this one time it was like a big sheet cake or something we were making and literally we still call it like crunchy cake <laughs> because it wasn't like cooked all the way or something in the middle and Rick was like oh well let's put it back in the oven or whatever and it was just I don't know but that's the biggest disaster <laughs> but as far as flavors I mean you know you can taste and do what you like but so when you go to other people's bakeries what are the things you look for and like are, are there any pet peeves that people do or things that annoy you or or things that you love or I don't know like what what are you I'm looking so for love, I love going to bakeries and I I think I have such an appreciation for bakeries or maybe I just pick the right ones I do my research but you know there's so many great bakeries around the country and I just really appreciate like you know if you go to fat and flour and you you know you appreciate everything but the pie crust um you know just and everything but and then you know, I have a friend in Atlanta that has an awesome bakery and I love like her croissants and I mean I don't know I just feel like I really have a appreciation one thing I did do recently actually this was right before the pandemic too I was in Charleston and I went into this like coffee shop and I think they got baked goods from you know like their sister bakery or whatever and I thought this was hilarious so I was looking at um, cookies in the case you know like you do at a coffee shop and they're kind of just under a dome and there were two that said they were chocolate chips but they looked totally different mm. and so I asked the girl you know what's the difference between that one and that one and I mean, they looked so different from each other. And she goes, oh, that one's just like, she probably didn't get the ingredients like mixed up to, or something like that. You know, like, I don't know. She had kind of like a mishap with how all the, you know, ingredients came together and it just kind of spread funny like that. And I was like, okay, love your honesty. <laughs> <laughs> right. I said, okay, which like, why are these out here? I guess, so my pet peeve would be like, I would never, you know, put something in our case that something was wrong, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. So it's all got to be kind of visually appealing. And well, I mean, and there's a different way to be visually appealing. I mean, I'm definitely into, um, I like little imperfections, but I mean, I don't want it to be like burnt or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Or undercooked or whatever I think you should always take pride in what you're putting out so and when you have other people making stuff at the bakery are there thing lessons that you have to impart to them early on where it's like things that you have to point out to them mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there are I mean just basically to take always take pride in your work and you know to um you know if something doesn't come out then you don't whatever the case may be, I mean, to learn from the mistake, but never to just pass it off and just go ahead and put it out for sale, you know? Mm -hmm. so. Well, that's good. There's a certain integrity to that, that, you know, yeah, it's not about sure. the bottom line. It's about, you know, making it sure every customer gets something really good. Yeah, exactly. Well, Cheryl, this, this flew by, my God, we're not done yet, but, um, but every session begins with what did you have for lunch? And it ends, our final note is, what are you having for dinner tonight? Oh, I don't know. What are we having for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> You're just going, I have no idea. 
He brought me lunch, so I don't know what we're having for dinner. Hmm, what will we have for dinner? I don't know, Adam, what I'm going to have for dinner, because honestly, I just had lunch like an hour ago. Okay, but I'm going to push you on this because, you know, we've got some time to kill. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. What do I want for dinner? Let's see. Well, I kind of want another one of those like bowls. Well, you know, I forgot to ask you, you said that, yeah, so you said you were wimpy and that's why you got the California roll, but what did you mean by that? So, I mean, like, I don't eat real sushi. I call that like fake sushi, right? Okay. Not sushi, but like if I go get sushi, I don't get like real sushi. Why? I don't know. I mean, like I literally just had my first oyster, raw oyster, like a couple of years ago. And what did you think? And it was under pressure. Um, I don't think I want it one again. <laughs> I mean, well, maybe, it's just, yeah. I, don't I don't think I've been missing anything. I mean, I definitely, I'm happy that I tried it. It was uh, definitely under pressure from some of my LA friends that were here. I mean, we went to the Gray, which is a famous friend's restaurant here. And it's like, yeah, Mashama couldn't believe I was finally going to have an oyster. And so, <laughs> and they were delicious, but I just, it's just not something top of mind that I would, you know, necessarily order. So now do you I think it's like, cause you said you were wimpy. I'm curious, like, is it fear or is it just like, you don't like the taste of maybe? Uh, if, well, here's the thing. Okay. So there's a few restaurants that I would go to that if the chef sends out something, I'm going to eat it. I mean, mm-hmm. if they think it's because I will trust that it's going to be delicious. So if I ever get in a situation like that, maybe if I'm at some awesome sushi restaurant in Los Angeles and you know we order things I probably would try it and be very disappointed that I've waited all of this time to try it yeah it's still like raisins I didn't eat I used to hate raisins until I had them in carrot cake and then I was like what is wrong with me you know so right right before COVID uh, my husband and I went to Japan uh, for the first time and uh, would love right I mean you're gonna have sushi you're gonna have yeah but so Craig's old um, film school roommate his name is Genjiro and he lives in Tokyo and he met us the first night and I asked if he would take us to a yakitori restaurant because I really wanted to try yakitori so he took us to this amazing little hole in the wall and you know they gave us like grilled like chicken thighs and different things and yeah. at, the ver- at the very end, he's like, the chef is going to make something very special for you right now. And, um, and we were watching it. It was like, what is that? And there was like orbs, like weird orbs. were like, oh. And they were dangling from like a skewer. And then he basically, it was called um, the Japanese lantern. It looked like a lantern. And I was like, oh, what is it? And they said, it's chicken ovaries. And um testicle it was like rooster testicles and chicken ovaries and you know not I I didn't want to be xenophobic or you know not not open-minded but like biting into one was like biting into like a water balloon filled with egg yolks and uh it was a lot so I'm basically telling you that story so you don't feel like I'm judging you for not liking well it's like you know what's the one thing that you probably would never you know do you have anything that you would never even try um, no, I, I would try anything. I mean, you know, I There's know that... one I would never try. What's that? <laughs> because my aunt Margaret used to make them. And I remember like just the cleaning process and how they smelled and chitlins. Do you know what those are? Yeah. I mean, I've heard of chitlins, but what are, are they like giz- gizzards or like, what is no, it? No, 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 no. They're like um, intestines and uh... I, don't, I don't Anyway, but so you have to clean them and they smell really bad when they're cooking. And I just remember that at my Aunt Margaret's house because my dad would only like, he, that's the only place he could ever get them because my mom would never make them. And then they like smother them in hot sauce. Oh, wow. And, I mean, it's that whole thing. I'm so excited, you know, um, it's that whole thing about how, um, I guess African-Americans would only eat certain, you know, only be able to eat certain things. And I'm like, I don't know. It's like that show that's coming on Netflix. It's called mm-hmm. High on the Hog. You yeah, know? it looks really good. That, yeah. So it's like the whole thing about higher on the hog is better than lower. Right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I don't want, I just don't 
want to eat that. Well, it's funny you say that because like that used to be like a like a foodie thing, like eating yeah, the, eating totally. the guts, like Anthony eat Bourdain. And yeah. eat, I will eat those. Like I said, maybe if some particular chef made them, I maybe I would eat them. So well, we went we went to France, and um, I got sick at a restaurant because I got served in a uh, tripe with calamari. It was like a dish, like this innovative dish, and it was like intestines with like it was fishy it was so awful I so yeah we're in the same boat but what, what's the difference between oh, no pun intended <laughs> awful that was good I didn't even think about that <laughs> but what's the difference between gizzards and chitlins so gizzards are like what is I mean they're like organs but they're not I don't know like the little intestines intestines but I right because gizzards come with the chicken like you get like the um the liver and the gizzard yeah okay got I it. don't I mean like I I guess I grew up eating those in um during the holidays because it would come with the turkey gizzards and you would just cook the hell out of them and dice them up and they went into your cornbread stuffing and uh -huh. they're, they're actually delicious so I don't know maybe I will try anything it <laughs> well, depends who's making it What's the, what's the iconic Savannah dish? Like if I was going to come to Savannah and after I visited your bakery a few times, like where would I go and what would I eat to like really experience Savannah? Um, I think I would say you would go to the gray. Okay. Is that, and, um, Hugh Atchison's restaurant? No, it's, no, 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 no. It's Mashama Bailey. Okay. Um, she is a black woman, amazing chef. She won the James Beard, uh, best. Southeast uh, a few years ago, and cool. she owns it. Uh, she's partnered with a gentleman, uh, John Marsano. But so they own the gray, and I would get probably the shrimp and foie, which Ooh. is really delicious. That sounds so um, good. Or anything really on the menu. I mean, that is like quintessential. In fact, Judy's coming into town. Uh huh. Judy, our mutual cookbook editor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, um, she definitely was like, oh, please get us into the gray. <laughs> yeah, so, what? Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. Yeah, Mashama was on Chef's Table, I think, a couple uh, of seasons ago, too. It was I'll really watch that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't watched all of it. Story. Where would you stay if you were coming to Savannah? Is there like a good hotel? Ooh, there's so many beautiful hotels. Um, I would probably stay maybe in like a airbnb or yeah that's not true i like hotels actually <laughs> but i couldn't tell you which one but there's a lot of them okay I'm, I'm just asking because i'm gonna pit, yeah i want to come now you've like convinced me i'm gonna get on a plane tomorrow and i'll I bring mean, you i'll bring you another los angeles dog yeah okay yeah bring, <laughs> but i mean i like yeah i love hotels because i like to have you know room service and my my sheets changed and all of that good stuff so i do too uh, yeah. Well, Cheryl, this was a pure delight. This was everything and more oh, than I could have hoped God. for. Yeah. Do you the therapy? Do you feel properly therapized? I do. I do. I may need another session in a yeah. couple months, but we'll see. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And I can't wait to meet you someday in person next time you're in I Los Angeles. Come, come to Savannah or yeah, totally. Yeah. We'll go, what will we go eat? Where we go. We, oh, well, Nicole will have opinions. We'll go out with Nicole Rucker and she'll Nicole has opinions. You know what I'm craving that I can't get here like I like is there's an awesome pizza place that I love there. Oh yeah, and which I, one? Um Hail Mary. I oh love. that's in my that's in my neighborhood. I live in that neighborhood. Oh, is that your neighborhood? Yeah, Atwater Village. Yeah. Your neighborhood is in a book I'm reading right now. And which book? I, I it's so funny she calls out um at Water Village is the neighborhood the guy lives in. It's called, it's like a, a rom-com novel. It's called The Proposal. Okay. By Jasmine Gullery. But so yeah, you're in the, um, yeah, in Made uh, the Cut. Oh my God. Wow. I'll have to read that. The character lives in Atwater Village. I thought that was so fun. Oh my gosh. Well, it's a great village and we really yeah, like it, it here. I love it there. I love uh, it. All right. All the stops and yeah. Well, you'll come and we'll go to the, we'll go to Hail Mary together. That'll be okay. perfect. And individual medley and yep. wine shop, all the things. You know, you, you're not kidding around. All <laughs> right, Cheryl. Well, good luck with the book. I can't wait to read it and um, I'll see you around. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Bye.
ACAST powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. My name is John Kasich. I'm the former governor of Ohio, former presidential candidate. And I'm Jordan Klepper. I'm a comedian. We have a new podcast together called Kasich and Klepper from ACAST and Treefort Media. Why is Kasich first? Well, first of all, it's alphabetical. K-L. I, you, you, I, I understand. And I ran a whole state once, too, by the way. You ran a mid-sized state, to be clear. <laughs> you know, a lot of people are going to think, oh, well, this is going to be about politics. No, it's not. It's going to be about life. We're going to talk about politics, I'm sure, but we're also going to talk about the things that affect us. And I might ask for fatherly advice of, like, how do you raise a child who won't become a Republican? (laughs) Welcome to Kasich and Klepper. Listen and subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST. 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 ACA